Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. He is risen. Let me hear that again. He is risen. All right, I think you got that. You know, that greeting has been around for a couple thousand years now, and uh, I love it. I love it when I hear it, uh, when I see it in print, it, it, it excites me. So a couple of weeks ago, I uh, was pondering, okay, I knew it, Easter was going to be my turn, and I was pondering what to do as far as what to speak on, so I called my world-famous brother, little brother, Dave. He pastors, I don't know, if you, if you don't know my brother, he's two years younger than I am. He pastors the Father's House in Vacaville, California, and uh, Dave's kind of exceeded all of our wildest imaginations. He has a church of about 10,000 people and six campuses. So Dave's kind of my go-to guy, and I'll, I picked up the phone and I said, hey, little brother, I said, what are you speaking on Easter Sunday? And he says, well, Mike, he says, here's the bottom line. The script hasn't changed in 2,000 years, and I don't think it will in the next couple of weeks. He says, so go back. Here's, my, here's his encouraging word. Go back and read the Easter story again out loud to yourself and see what you come up with. That was Dave's word of encouragement to me. Um, so uh, kind of fun to poke, poke fun at him, and uh, I love him to pieces. And we're extremely proud of all that God has done through he and Donna. But I expected greater words of wisdom from, bro- from Brother Dave. I really did. Yeah, go back and read the Easter story. See what God says to you. I'm like, oh, okay. That'll, that should work. So hopefully we will do that today, okay? I was a little f- afraid that with Dan talking about uh, feeling the scars in Jesus' hands and, and in his side, I thought he was going to go off to my Doubting Thomas story. I'm like, oh man, here we go. He's going to preach the first, the second half of my... But that's all right. Lord knows what's going on and he puts it together and we just walk in it. Amen? So obviously we're going to talk about the resurrection today. It is Resurrection Sunday. Hopefully I can bring some light, maybe some something fresh uh, word or insight into your walk of faith and all of that. So he is risen indeed today. Amen? So all historians, both secular and sacred, agree that Jesus of Nazareth lived on this planet for 33-plus years or so. And all of the Gospels, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all uh, record the story and that part of the life, um, of Jesus' life. It's partial, some of it, yet it's in the inspired Word of God. Uh, I like reading Luke. Luke was a doctor, and Luke was very well educated, and Luke seemed to write um, very concisely. He, he, could, 
Luke could give you all the details, and that was kind of nice. So, uh, Jesus, I figured it out. Jesus was on this earth about 12,000 days, okay? Lived, lived to be 33 and a half or so. 12,000 days. And you look through the majority of the Gospels, they only cover just a little over 1,000 days, about 1,100 days of his life. That's the last three years of his life, which we call the ministry of Jesus. And we have a record of his birth. Uh, he, he, it's a great story. We celebrate it at Christmas time. And then Jesus comes popping up a little later on. He makes a cameo appearance at the age of 12. And uh, it's kind of a quick splash in the word, and then the word moves on. But the most thoroughly covered portion of his life are the last seven days. Isn't that ironic? The last seven days of Jesus' life, what we call Passion Week. We've been walking through it all week long. And if I shed a tear today, I will just warn you, my heart has been extremely tender um, this week as I've studied, prayed, looked at the Word, written these notes. My heart has just been so tender for what Jesus did to me, did for me. And uh, let me just put in a plug. If you missed service on Friday night, the Good Friday service, you missed an outstanding time in this house. Um, it was very casual, very informal, but we worshiped together, and we took communion together, and there were scriptures read, and the Holy Spirit was so thick in this place, you could cut it with a knife. So there's my plug. Make sure you make it to Good Friday. Next year, make sure you make it to Christmas Eve service. Those kind of services are very special in our time together as a church family. So put them on the calendar. Make it a point to be here. So the death, burial, and resurrection, those seven days in Jesus' life, as he made that entrance on Palm Sunday and was resurrected the following Sunday, that's the stuff, uh, that's where the meat of the story is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the singular most important event in all of history, all of mankind. There's really, um, there's really no way to get around that. Uh, the Bible has been the number one selling book in all the world for many, many years, and uh, and will continue to be. I believe it. Uh, it's amazing, the story. So the entire. Passion Week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I love about it. The whole thing is one great act of love. One great act of love. He took a beating for us. He hung on the cross for us. He went into that tomb for us. There's an old song that says he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And that week, wow, one great act of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So realistically, that's what Easter is about. It's a love story, amen? And the reason that the resurrection is such an important part of, of this story, I believe that the cross... Without, without a resurrected Jesus, basically, it doesn't really have the power to change our lives. 
he's just another religious guy. Maybe a bit of a religious zealot who came along like the other religious zealots. But he resurrected. He predicted his resurrection. He predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, and then he followed through. Amen? That's the part that changes our lives. The Apostle Paul was writing back and forth to different churches and trying to keep them on track and everything. And he was writing to the first uh, century church in Corinth. And he had people coming back. He had rumors coming back to him saying, well, that Jesus, he was a great teacher. Wow. He was a great leader. He had a great following. He was even a miracle worker. He could lay hands on people and they would get healed and they would be changed. But the church in Corinth was saying, uh, but he didn't resurrect from the dead. You know, we have, we have no way to prove that he resurrected from the dead. So Paul comes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I believe Michael's going to have this for you on the screen. And uh, beginning in verse 12, he says, Now, since our message is that Christ has been raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If that is true, it means that Christ was not raised. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then we have nothing to preach And you have nothing to believe. More than that, we are shown to be lying about God because we said that he raised Christ from death. But if it is true that the dead are not raised to life, then he did not raise Christ. For the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is a delusion and you are still lost in your sins. It would, be all, it would also mean that the believers in Christ who have died are lost. Paul always said it like it was, huh? Verse 19, if our hope in Christ is good for this life only and no more, then we deserve more pity than anyone else in all the world. Isn't that the truth? But here, I love this verse. But the truth is that Christ has been raised from death as the guarantee that those who sleep in death will also be raised. For just as death came by means of a man, in the same way the rising from death comes by means of a man. For just as all people die because of their union with Adam, in the same way all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that today? So those of you that are note takers, and I love note takers, I wish I was a better note taker. My wife always takes good notes and sometimes I have to go back and refer to those. To see what I said. But she's always been a good note taker. I remember when Pastor Larry used to ask me to come and teach, like on a Wednesday night Bible study, I'd always get go get Teresa's notes. And I'd thumb through them and I'd look up the scripture and I'd look at her notes. I'm thinking, that works. That works really good. Let's go with that, shall we? Shall we? I love it. God always makes a way. There's always a ram in the thicket. Amen? All right. Three applications of an empty tomb. I want to give you these today. And uh, hopefully they will help you. Wherever you're at in your walk of faith, hopefully they will help you. Number one, the resurrection is the event our faith is built upon. Resurrection is the event our faith is built upon. Paul said it well in that passage that we just read. He basically said, look, if there's no resurrection in Jesus then we're all just wasting our time here, folks. We're just putting in days, but there's not a lot of hope involved if that's the case. 
I tell you that an empty tomb today that we are celebrating is what separates the Christian faith from every other belief system of religion in the history of mankind, okay? All the religious leaders who've come and gone, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, all the Dalai Lamas, these guys might have been great guys. I'm sure they're nice people. I'm sure they had good intentions, but not one of them predicted their own resurrection, and not one of them followed through, did they? They all stayed in the grave. Jesus is a little different. There's an overwhelming amount of evidence in the Word that proves Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, saw Jesus after he rose from the grave. They heard him speak. Many had a chance to eat a meal at the same table with him. They were able to physically embrace him after his resurrection. That's where I thought about doubting Thomas. Thomas said, hey, you guys are good guys and all that, but I'm not going to believe your story until I get to touch the nail prints in his hands and the sword piercing in his side and look at the nail prints in his feet. Then I'll believe your story. But there were far too many people involved after Jesus was raised from the dead to sustain some kind of myth, to just make it a fairy tale, okay? Author Philip Yancey wrote these words. He says, I believe the strongest evidence of the resurrection is that Jesus succeeded in changing a sniveling band of unreliable followers into fearless evangelists. The fact that 11 men who had deserted him at death now went to martyrs' graves, avowing their faith in a resurrected Christ. This is evidence that these few disciples managed to set loose a force that changed the world in the first century. Can you say amen to that? You and I today are evidence of the millions of people that have been changed by the power of God and continue to be changed. We'll never reach perfection until we get our heavenly bodies so we have to continually evolve spiritually amen we need to continually be renewed a couple thousand years ago it was just a handful of guys handful of people 11 men and a couple of women that's who followed jesus up until the time he left the earth that has grown in the meantime to over two billion strong and still growing Can you say amen to that? Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. And that was what Jesus did by resurrecting from the grave. Amen? I looked up, I uh, I know we hear a lot of stuff on the news about Islam and all that. And I looked it up and Islam has about one one billion followers. So we're, we're two and a half times stronger than Islam is. And I'm thankful for that. I'm just being honest with you. I'm thankful for that. Number two today. The resurrection empowers us to live an overcoming life today. Okay, let me say that again. The resurrection empowers us to live an overcoming life today. I tell you, that's a big deal. Amen? Far too many people around us and that we know, they live in a perpetual state of defeat, of confusion... They're walking around in a fog, or they're living in partial victory. You know, they need 100% victory in their, in their lives, 
and they're bumping 60% or whatever. It's just a partial thing. We all have questions connected to our faith. As we profess our faith, we all have questions that sometimes are overwhelming to us. It can be debilitating to us to think about some of these things. Questions like, can God really change me? Can God really change me? I've been this way far too long. Can God really change me? Can God restore my marriage? How many people have come up against this wall that we know of and until they walked into the church, melted their hearts together at an altar of prayer, that's when God could do something substantial in restoring their marriage. I've seen it over and over and over again in my years in ministry. People are asking themselves, can God break this cycle of addiction in my life? Can He do that for me? Can God truly forgive and accept someone who's done all the bad stuff that I've done? Well, just look at Vernon's testimony. He's told you over, over and over again what he experienced coming up through the ranks and what God has done to change his life and make him a completely different human being. That's the power of a resurrected God. Amen? What is your question today that you continually ask yourself? Stop and ponder that one for just a minute, okay? If Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, is there anything that he can't handle in your life? Think about that. Because I know that some of you are up against some tough spots right now, and you're thinking to yourself, can God really do that in my life? Can he fix that in my life? Let me ask you this follow-up question. What is your faith ceiling? What is your faith ceiling? I spoke about this a few weeks ago, where some of us really have a knack for putting limitations on God. Well, God could do that for Vernon, but he probably can't do it for me. We, 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 we put a limiter on God. You ever driven a vehicle with a lim- with a limiter on it? I rented a U-Haul truck years ago. Oh my lord! And we were moving from California back to Oregon State, and uh, it had a limiter. And it didn't matter how hard I pushed on that gas pedal with my foot, my short little legs, my leg would cramp up. I'd pass. I'd push on that thing so hard, it wasn't going to go up the hill any any faster than about thirty five. Sometimes we do that to God. Say God. I'd really like to go 100 miles an hour this week. Okay, but why do you, you got to get rid of the limiter. You got to take that away. Amen. And it's all right here in our minds and our hearts. We have to believe without a shadow of a doubt. Where does your belief in God's limitless power tap out? Huh? Think about that. Is his power greater than any adversary in your life? Say, so, well, what's that? Is that just Satan? No, sometimes that's the thing that jumps up in your face, that's attempting to take you out. It's that thing. So think about that. Is his power greater than any adversary? Fear is an adversary. Fear of your future. What does that look like? I'm a little bit in that, hanging in the balances right now. Tomorrow is the 18th of April. I put a little circle on on my calendar at home. And I, then I was talking to Teresa. We were sitting in the office. I, she, I'm at my desk. She's at her desk. We're yakking back and forth. 
And I said, I put a circle on the 18th. What does that stand for? Because I didn't label it. I didn't write anything next to it. I just circled it. And then it dawned on me. Tomorrow's Monday the 18th, and tomorrow applications for this pastorate close. It's the last day that anybody can apply. And then from there, the district, Northwest District Committee will take the ball and run with it, and they'll figure out what's going on in the next couple of weeks. Fear of your future. Fear of failure. These are things that Satan will wave under your nose and taunt you with sometimes. Fear of commitment. My goodness. Fear of fully surrendering to God. You know, we Christians are kind of a strange lot sometimes. We'll ask God to do things in our lives. We'll beg God to do things in our lives. But then when it comes to really cleaning, you know, the slate, repenting of all that we've done wrong, we always want to hang on to a little something, don't we? Want to hide it way back in the corner of our heart and hope that God doesn't see it. Well, that's a fairy tale. That's not going to happen. Poor self-image is an adversary. I could never do that. I'm not as good as them or nearly as qualified as that person or that person. You may face this on the job. You may believe that you could do the job as good or better. You might want to be able to move up a little bit. You might want a promotion. But then fear of of failure and poor self-image, those are the adversaries that are beating you around the head and neck. Addictions are obviously an adversary. Okay, We become addicted to something in our lives and we convince ourselves that we can't live without it. Huh? We are confronted with the question like, can I overcome this addiction? Can I live as the victor and not the victim? Wow. If you can walk out of that mess and believe God to deliver you from that, wouldn't it be nice to live in victory for a change and not have that addiction rule your life, your world? This is where the power to live a new life comes into play And it was provided because of that empty tomb. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I like that. For if we have been united with him in death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead... He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Can you say amen to that little passage of scripture that really lays it out in black and white for us? Because of an empty tomb, you and I have been given the power to live above it. Above it. Whatever it is in your life and in your world, we have been given the power through a resurrected Christ to live above it. Amen? Ephesians 1.19 I want you to know about this great and mighty power that God has for us followers. 
It is the same wonderful power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Jesus walked out of that grave so you could walk out of your grave. Amen? Jesus walked out of that grave in Old Town, Jerusalem, so you could walk out of your grave, whatever that looks like. If the tomb is empty, and it is, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can break free, break you free of your depression, of the things that plague your mind, okay? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can break the power of fear in your lives, because some of you are ruled and reigned by fear. You wouldn't know what to do if you didn't have fear in your world, which is just beyond my imagination. Not a way to live. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can restore a broken relationship. How many, how many of you know that? He can restore a broken relationship. It can break the power of whatever is keeping you in your personal grave. Amen? His power is more than enough. Let me ask you again, what limitations have you put on the power of God? Think about that for a moment. What limitations have you put on God? Something that maybe you're struggling with and you haven't released it to God yet. You haven't walked it down here and laid it on this altar in your, in your heart and in your mind. You keep hanging on to it because it's kind of like a security blanket. Wow. The empty tomb declares there are. No limitations on God. Amen? Your past, the cross, and the empty tomb dealt with your bondage from your sin. Presently, you are given power to face life and live in victory and success. For your future, the Bible says you have a living hope and ultimately you will have victory over this life. Amen? Number three today, if you're the note taker, the resurrection will have the last word. The resurrection will have the last word. Thus, the title of my message this morning. You think about it, Mary and the ladies that followed Jesus, and a couple of the disciples, they all came to the tomb looking for a dead body. That was their reality. They were prepared. Somebody quoted the, the Friday night about 75 pounds of of perfume and anointment and all that good stuff that they were bringing to anoint the corpse, the dead body of Jesus. That was their reality. And sometimes that's our reality, that when we experience death in our lives, that it's final, that it has the final word over us. But let me encourage you today, it's just the gap between Friday and Sunday. Amen? It's just the gap between Friday and Sunday. In the timeline of history and humanity, we are between Friday and Sunday. I believe that with all my heart. Death seems final to us. The world seems hell-bent on a self-destructive course. Boy, I watch the news, I get a little discouraged. 
How many people got shot in Portland yesterday? I don't know, but it was a lot because they just keep covering one story after the other, after the other, after the other. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord Jesus, where do all these evil people come from? All they want to do is just drive by and shoot each other. I I don't get it. But death does not have the final word. It's just the gap between Friday and Sunday. Amen? Let me move on. As human beings, we are mere mortals. Amen? We are mere mortals. We are not gods. Friday says cancer won, death won, my failure won again. But an empty tomb has the last word and says, wait, there's another resurrection morning coming. Amen? As a planet, Friday says, wars will take us out. You can watch every play-by-play in the the Ukraine war every night on the news. Wars are going to take us out. People are convinced that between Putin and Biden, World War III is going to take place. And it's, it's going to take us all out. Global warming, we hear about it weekly, almost nightly. It's going to take us out. It's going to destroy our planet. Mass shootings, as I mentioned. Violence is always on the increase, unfortunately. But an empty tomb says, hang on to your hats. It ain't over yet. There is another resurrection morning coming. Amen? Yeah, give the Lord praise today. I'm going to invite the band to come back as I wrap this up. We're going to uh, sing a song of worship together before we leave today. But let me share this passage of Scripture talking about there is another resurrection morning coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. I like that. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. That's a heavenly requirement. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that today? There's a promise you can stand on. Amen? So let me ask you one more question. What enemy in your life seems to have the final word over and over again? Think about that. Weigh it in your heart. Because Jesus is alive and well, the Bible tells us, sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever to make intercession for you and I. Because of his resurrection from that tomb, Wow. The sin of your past was dealt with on the cross. The power that you need for today is available to you because of an empty tomb. The promise of your eternity with Jesus is available to you because of an empty tomb. Amen? We simply have to respond to his invitation to live a resurrected life. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood 
that you shed. Thank you, Jesus, for that blood that was applied to my life and every life that's standing in this room and today. Everyone that's under the sound of my voice, you shed your blood equally for all of us, no matter where we're at in life, no matter where we're at in our walk of faith, you are there. There are some here today, Lord Jesus, that maybe have not confessed you as their Lord and Savior. I pray today that the seed has been planted in their heart and they will seek you out. They will know your word and understand how much you love them and how much you gave for them. Thank you for that today. Lord, we pray, uh, as we close today, we pray over Grace as she boards a plane for California. We pray over Michelle as she gets ready to drive that stretch to Northern California. We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for guardian angels to be with them. We pray for peace to be in their hearts. Cover them with your blood, Lord Jesus. Let there be guardian angels at every corner of that vehicle, around that plane. Let there be a hedge of protection. Lord God, as the, around this family, as they make their way south today, we give you the praise, we give you the honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Lord bless you today. Thank you for coming out on this Easter Resurrection Sunday.